Hello, and welcome to the Data-Driven Supply Chain Podcast, your source for manufacturing news and latest happenings in the supply chain industry. We have with us my usual partner in crime, Yesin, and our guest today is the CEO of Axia, Felix, a great friend and someone I look up to, especially when it comes to disrupting a traditional industry. More on that, but first, let's start off with an introduction of our guest. So. Felix, if you could tell us a little bit about your background and yeah, what's 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 up? How did you get into this 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 industry? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Felix. I'm the CEO and co-founder of uh, Axia. I have a mechanical engineering background and uh, I also study the anthropology. I've always been fascinated by community, collaboration, communication. And uh, actually my first work experience was a combination of the mechanical engineering background and anthropology. I was working at uh, Bombardier Aerospace and I was in charge of uh, supplier quality. So I had to work with a big ecosystem of partners. Um, and my job was super exciting. I was in charge of what we call a QIR. So it stands for quality inspection requirement. And basically when we have an issue with an aircraft and service, they would send a short report to the factory and my job was to coordinate with different team and suppliers to find the, the root cause of that problem. Um, it was super exciting. I've learned a lot about uh, uh, supply chain aircraft, but the thing that really shocked me at the time was the way we, we communicate with our suppliers. So I was using email, telephone, and even faxes in some cases to get the information. Um, and that information was gathered using Excel spreadsheet and a handwritten note. Um, so it was uh, an amazing experience, but at the time I was thinking maybe there's a better way to structure all that, that knowledge and make it accessible, uh, to work. Super interesting. I, I like the, um, the, uh, the comment about the communication, um, uh, like, can you, can you give us a bit more like uh, a visual on this? Because, uh, in my, in my head, um, it's, it, there's a quite of a contrast between like how much the engineering is like cutting edge and how much the information is absolutely not. Um, so can you paint, paint us a bit of a picture over here? Yeah, so so um, let's, let's say we have an issue with a, a metal component that was machined uh, two years ago and with a special configuration. Just to make sure that it's the actual right part, we need to find the supplier in the ERP. Um, so to do that, I would go see one of my colleagues, ask them which supplier could have done the part. We would dive in together. Uh, ERPs are not really systems that are meant to come across new information. If you don't know exactly where to look at, it's really hard to get that. So I needed to leverage my colleagues' uh, expertise about the different components uh, we were working on. After that, we find a supplier vendor, and then we, we I had to call them. But the log of the part that they, they manufacture is not always super accurate. So sometimes they would take the print sheet with handwritten note from the engineers or the, the machinists who did the part, they would send that back to us and we have to validate, was that the right design or not? Um, so I was printing the, those uh, information and tracking and it was working. It's not, the, it's not the information, it's not accurate. It's just accessing that information was super challenging. And um, yes, I think that was a, a good example of, we start from the super advanced CAD model, but when we get into the problem solving, Paper and pen is the the best way to go. Sounds good. Sounds good. So um, a bit of maybe a personal question and more of of also professional in there is like you know somebody young as you 
having mechanical engineering background, dream job in Bombardier, why would you leave all of that? And why go and do something of your own to solve, solve that problem? Well, actually, it started with uh, my roommate who invited me to take part in Akathon. Uh, I knew basic programming, uh, but I wasn't a, a real programmer. But I love problem solving. So he's like, oh, come with us uh, with some friends and we'll uh, build cool stuff during the weekend and try to win uh, prizes. And that was my first um, real innovation exposure um, and, and even entrepreneurship because through those competition, uh, we built some, some small platform software. And I was like, all right, I, I actually really love starting from a problem and building the solution uh, to tackle that challenge. And one of the competition led us to join an accelerator. Um, and in that accelerator, we actually build what is that, what is Axia today. But um, at the time, I was still working at, at uh, Bombardier, and I was sharing some of my ideas with uh, my, my managers. And I had, I had a specific objective to, to hit. And building the company and working at Bombardier were not compatible. So I had to take a decision. And happy I was supported in that transition. Uh, but I decided to to dedicate all my time to building what is uh, Axia today, and uh, still support the 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 aerospace industry, but in uh, in another way. Well, that's a, that's pretty interesting. Uh, um, it's like uh, I get that this is how this thing is started, but like, did you thought at the time that um, the problem that you've seen way back, where you will be uh, kind of solving this information problem? in aerospace with the thing that you were uh, kind of starting to build? Actually, one of my initial hypotheses is that we wouldn't work with the aerospace industry before year five or even year 10, because as a super advanced industry, they need uh, technology that are de-risk before they can be used. And as a startup, I was aware that we needed, that we would need time to build that credibility. But I was already aware that the information problem in the, the manufacturing industry was a great opportunity for us. So one of the first thing that we've done when we launched the, the company was the, a lot of discovery call with potential customers. So machine shops, uh, purchasing department, engineering department. And that's where we, we really understood that the, the process to identify a supplier, get prices and selecting that supplier um, was very different from one company to another. But the common thing was the tool that they use is currently the market leader is uh, Gmail. So that's how they, they they target their supplier and get the information. And uh, so that's the, the initial problem that we, we ran after. We, we started with some smaller companies uh, to really test the product. And another exciting thing is that before the product was even released, we were able to sell membership to access the platform uh, in its better form. So it was for us a strong validation that the industry was looking for a product that, like the one we were building. And having early adopters participating in the development of the solution would be key in our success. Um, so yeah, to go back to your answer, aerospace, not at first, maybe for in the future of the company. That was my initial uh, hypothesis. Um, and we went after uh, manufacturing companies. That's fantastic. Um, um... Kind of a paradoxical question because, uh, like, we're we're not talking about small shops here. We're talking about like some of the biggest uh, um, aerospace manufacturer in the world, kind of all struggling with the same thing. Um, they have means. They have means to buy tools and stuff like that. Why do you think that is um, that they're not able? I don't know to like 
home bake it into their ERP, uh, like the, something to help them collaborate with their suppliers. Why do you think that this this thing is not um, this the type of information sharing is difficult for for uh, for a company like that to do um, and to 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 revamp a bit their information structure? Well, I think that initially the ERP were built to store the information and not necessarily to dynamically search in it and make a quick analysis, for example, in sourcing of who could be the right suppliers. They're not built to do that. And uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you could hire a, a team of uh, experienced uh, buyers uh, who would have to source some parts. So with the existing tech stack, they were able to do their, their job properly. But I think with the recent shift in the market, uh, sourcing need to be more dynamic uh, there, it's, it's a more complex process, as we've seen with all the disruption that happened uh, recently. You need uh, real-time information about your supplier base. Uh, you need to be able to identify a new potential partner really quickly and streamline the, the communication and collaboration with them. And the tech stack haven't followed that trend quickly. And another big uh, uh, challenge for the, the manufacturing industry is the labor shortage. So you can't double the size of your purchasing team uh, by snapping your fingers, the problem is more complex and the tech stack didn't follow. So I think that's why we need the solution like the, the one we're building. Super interesting. So like, uh, if I recap what you're saying, like innovation is absolutely critical on this front. Um, and now because there's much more of these disruption and uh, much more uh, need for uh, uh, flexibility and speed. Uh, yeah, and, and maybe another, uh, uh, thing that is used to work well is that big companies could impose their software to their supplier and say, this is how you work starting now. But with globalization, suppliers start to work with five, 10, 20, 50 different buyers. And now being imposed a software that is not aligned with the way they operate is a challenge. And uh, the dynamic has shifted. Now the power is on the supplier side. I've talked with supplier recently that told their clients, Starting uh, next month, I'm not using your software. I don't want to pay for that. You'll need to receive my quote uh, through this workflow. And if you're not interested, I'm not quoting anymore. And uh, the buyer had no choice to adapt to the supplier behavior uh, because of those new um, market dynamics. That I'm in. Cool. Um, so yeah, one one question, Felix. Uh, uh, on LinkedIn, I've seen you've been pretty much traveling with a lot of aerospace executives here and there. So what was, uh, and I know you're also part of the delegation that went to Europe. Um, what were some of the key learnings or key takeaways from that trip that you had, uh, especially uh, touching back on the aerospace sector? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, one of the, the top priority in the aerospace industry and is something I've heard a lot in the, in Europe. It's the, the zero emission journey. How can we build aircraft that are uh, emitting zero uh, uh, emission, no carbon, carbon uh, emission? Um, and the way to achieve that by 2050, which is uh, one of the objectives, for example, at Airbus, I think Safran is also aligned with those type of targets. To do that, you need to innovate on multiple small things. It's not just one disruptive technology that will change the way um, the aircraft are, are, are built. They'll need new technology, new material, um, and a lot of different solution will come from partners. So the way innovation is, is, uh, is being put in place in Europe 
um, is really through big collaboration, identify potential small startup that can contribute into a specific component of the process, uh, and they support them. So Safran has been uh, a leader in that approach of identifying uh, uh, companies that have super exciting technology and supporting them and making sure that what they're building is actually aligned with what Safran needs. And I think it's a really interesting way of uh, uh, innovating and it's required. If we don't do that, I don't think we'll hit those objectives by uh, 2050. So that's one of the, the big trend uh, I've seen. Another common thing is, uh, of course, uh, supply chain disruption. How can we adapt? And uh, the main, there's two solutions. The first one is that you need to really be agile. So have multiple options and being able to switch from one to another with minimal impact on the, the way you operate. Um, multiple uh, strategies are put in place to do that, but it's really a priority for procurement executives. Um, and the other one is visibility. How can you reduce your risk uh, if you're not aware of what are the problems? It's, it's really challenging. So being able to monitor in real time your supply chain, what is currently happening and what you uh, are expecting. Uh, so I'm, I've talked with executives that are trying to create some dashboard to track their supplier performance. Uh, communication channels that are optimized with their internal team, but also with their uh, external suppliers. So this is another exciting trend. And uh, I think that actually it's something that we were aware of and we, we thought about for, for years, but now seeing that the industry is shifting in that direction, it's becoming one of the top priority um, is a good opportunity for us. Perfect. Perfect. That makes a, uh... A lot of sense. Um, one question before I know you, Yasin is sort of itching to ask a question, but I, I wanted to do a follow up uh, follow up question to that, which is very interesting. I was reading about uh, secondary emissions, um, and it's kind of like a even bigger pie what secondary emissions are like. So even if you have a pretty good setup in terms of carbon footprint, your suppliers might have something terrible, and you're contributing to that. So that sort of uh, lines up uh, very. Very nicely with what what you're doing with Axiot. And just one question out of curiosity: Why do you think um, uh, Axiot has been so successful in the aerospace uh, sector, where the perception that a person would have about aerospace is it's, it's crazy advanced and it's it it sort of touches on um, borderline artificial and there's a lot of stuff going. But how? Wh why do you think Axia had such a good uh, impact? Well, I think uh, in, in this specific case, timing is everything. So some of the problems that we've been tackling for years now were not the top priorities in those large companies. But now with the supply chain disruption, the labor shortage, and the, the desire to innovate uh, to tackle those challenges, we see companies like Airbus, Pratt & Whitney, G Aviation, uh, working with a company like ours because they really need to, to quickly um, put in place a solution. Um, so I think it's really the timing that allowed us to, to work with those company. And we've been um, uh, working really hard in transforming those early um, users into really great example of what the technology can do. And that's, that was one way to showcase that access now a, a company that has a mature product adapted to the industry, aerospace industry. And that's how we were able to onboard more clients with similar challenges and uh, infrastructures. Fantastic uh, and a uh, uh, great comment, um, Ahmad, on the on the secondary emission thing, um, because I kind of see a trend like uh, in in aerospace. A lot of the issues 
um, are related to your suppliers because you can't do everything yourself. You have to have partners, and then they are specialized in their stuff. Um, yeah. How how do you feel that this is impacting like um, all of these uh, these uh, different targets? Of, let's say, hey, I want to to ensure that my data is all centralized into my stuff, my spot, but the supplier is emitting this data. Um, I want to reduce the my GS emission, but the supplier is also contributing to that thing like uh, quite heavily. Um, how do you do that? How do you, in this space, ensure that there is good collaboration and that you can we can all work together to get stuff fixed? Yeah, I think here it's another example where the first step is really visibility. You need to be aware of what is the the emission of your suppliers. Um, we see some companies that that require it for for their supplier to be able to uh, quote on on specific project. You need to show that you have a specific standard in terms of a, a carbon footprint. Uh, it's a new trend that we're starting to to see. So once you're able to map your your supply chain and the type of emission that they have, the next step is to identify the the changes that are required. And to do a change, you need to identify a problem, but also a solution. So we've seen some suppliers that, uh, not suppliers, but buyers who said, those parts can be sourced in uh, in Canada. We don't have the supply chain, it's not competitive enough. But uh, with COVID, they were forced to source back in in, in Canada. In, in the specific case I'm thinking about with, with Vention, they had to source back in Quebec. Um, and they found a more competitive supplier that was able to provide uh, the same part, same quality, but 200 kilometers away from the the fact the the shop, rather than being uh, hundreds uh, or even thousands of kilometers away uh, and being shipped overseas. So I think once you identify a problem, you find the solution with the proper research, um, you can really shorten those uh, supply chain or work with partners that really uh, lower uh, carbon uh, emission. I think fantastic answer, but I'll, I'll play devil advocate here. And um, I would say like, um, if you do have the visibility, you already solved one of the core problem, which is getting the data, right? Because on, on all of these stuff, you the data is on the supplier side, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm going to push you on this. Um, um, how I, let's say an aerospace company can get my suppliers to adopt X, like a technology or what, whatever it needs, to get give me this visibility in order to do something about it and maybe an example from from uh, Axel will be will be cool here and how you even get that uh, going in such a space yeah so i think uh, you're touching a really important point suppliers and any and any partners need to collaborate in that process to be effective but one of the challenges that we hear a lot is that that collaboration is either costly time consuming or even uh, uh, problematic so you need to find a way to simplify the sharing of that information. It is one of the main problems that we tackle at Axia. We made sure that the product was built to support the supplier behavior. It was built with suppliers. On a weekly basis, we would show them the platform, how it evolved, how they could access some of the key information outside of the platform by email, for example, and be able to provide the key data point to their partners uh, without changing the way they work. because. If you, you put too much friction in those type of process, the reflex is, you know what? I will not do it. You won't have your quote. You won't have your data. And uh, I'll work with somebody that it's, it's nice to work with. So all the, the engineering yeah. was around the, the workflow and how we can make it simple. 
and they end up sending your code via faxes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> we, we talked about a supplier that is uh, as a colleague, uh, and and her job is to to print the, the quote, annotate them uh, with hand, and fax that information back to the 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 buyer. And it works. I don't think it's the most optimal way of doing it, but they're a successful business, and they decided to to go um, with that route. Well, uh, at least they're not using pigeons, right? So, yeah, still. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> cool. So, Felix, we're running a bit short on time. Last, any last words, any last piece of advice that you'd like to give to our listeners out there? Yeah. So, I think it's it's a really exciting time for the the manufacturing industry. Uh, I think the, the what we've seen with uh, uh, COVID was just a wake up call. The problem has always been there. It's just that the manifestation of those problems was problematic, was leading to new changes and innovation. And I think with the new priority on flexibility, visibility, uh, collaboration, I think we're entering in a new era of uh, supply chain management. Um, and that's why we build Axia, to allow companies to focus on the collaboration with their partners, while our platform, our system, take care of all the manual work, data manipulation, um and and it's been a successful uh, year 2022 has been the best year for the company we signed exciting clients like airbus pride and whitney g aviation and and now that we're working with those leaders in our own industry uh we showcased that the company uh, was ready to deploy in the aerospace so uh super excited to see how 2023 will unfold but definitely a lot of uh, uh collaboration with aerospace uh, leaders Awesome, awesome. Great to hear that. Congratulations on that. So yeah, thank you so much, Felix, for your time. We appreciate you sharing all those nuggets of wisdom. I'm quite uh, sure tomorrow all of the engineering listening of our podcast is going to submit their resignations and start off companies to solve uh, solve exciting aerospace, uh, aerospace problems. So yeah, if you guys have any questions for Felix, don't hesitate to reach out to him. To, through LinkedIn, I guess. That's probably where he's yeah, easily available. Um, and yeah, that will be all from our side today. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned and hit subscribe to get more updates. That's all for today. Thank you guys for having me. It was a real pleasure sharing uh, my personal journey and uh, excited to, to listen to the next episode. Have a great day, everyone.